0: You're listening to Real Life, a podcast from the Nation Network. I got 50, I got 50 for Brought to you by Finning Canada, the parts you need when you want them.
3: We return on the Real Life podcast brought to you by Finning Canada. All the parts you need in one place, 1.4 million parts at your fingertips. That's Finning Canada. I'm Jason Greger, Jason Strudwick, former NHLer, Wanya Gretz, from Waters Nation. Joining us, uh, gentlemen, good afternoon. Hello, hello, how's everybody doing today? Howdy, howdy-do. Good, good. Well, we have, a, we have a great guest, like one of the best hockey minds ever. I've, I've seen him at many uh, uh, coaching uh, conferences, and I thought it was fitting in expansion week that we talk to a gentleman who was a head coach of an expansion team back in 1991, 1992, when the San Jose Sharks became the 22nd team. In the National Hockey League, uh, George Kingston
1: uh, joins us. George, how are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you very much for inviting me.
3: Oh, well, we're happy to have you, George. Uh, you, you've had an unbelievable career. For people who don't know, you were a longtime university coach. Then you were an assistant coach in the NHL for with Calgary and then Minnesota. And then you made a unique move. You left the NHL and you went to Norway to coach their national team for a few years before coming back to San Jose to the NHL. So I want to talk about what decision led you to go to Norway after being an assistant coach in the NHL.
1: Actually, it was a very easy decision. I had been on the bid committee and then the uh, organizing committee for the 88 winter Olympic games and the gentleman who was the president of ice hockey for Norway wanted me to come over and help them build three arenas. Uh, set up a volunteer program, and also, of course, coach their junior and senior national teams. And it seemed like a wonderful opportunity to do that, and it was a fantastic experience.
2: George, Jason Stradwick here. When you when you go over the for the first time, I'm assuming Norway hockey's come a long ways since your first trip. What what did you see when you arrived in Norway, as far as hockey facilities, hockey playing ability, and coaching?
1: Well, first of all, I think the uh, development was not that uh, great because they were a small nation of 4 million people, and they didn't have the hockey tradition uh, that Sweden and Finland had. And of course, Sweden is 8 million at that time, and Finland about the same, 4 million. And so you had uh, the culture of winter sports, and especially skiing, that was very, very strong in Norway. Uh, Now, despite that, the women's handball team were a very good team, and I was cautioned when I went there that I might not be able to build a team. Well, there was nothing further from the truth, because these were young men who could fly. They were great skaters. Individual skills were very, very strong on the uh, attack side of the puck, but defense not. And so, you know, it was a matter of uh, getting balance in their game, and then, you know... Within a year, we tied Sweden and Finland at the World Championships, and so they made remarkable progress. I loved working with their players because they were so hungry to get better.
0: I've actually been to a uh, pro hockey game in in Norway, Mr. Kingston. Uh, Two years ago, I went to a game in Oslo. It was quite a great time. The player of the game or the top scorer has a gold helmet and the other guy has a silver helmet in the games. Was it like that when you were there?
1: No, no, no. No, there was no individual recognition. Oh, in that's fact, all the new no marketing
0: way, uh, angles are going uh, after for
1: Basically, uh, they were afraid to get out of their shadows. Okay. Because the culture of Norway was that you should never uh, brag or in any way show that you were good. But the fact is, they were darn good. They were really great people.
0: It was really interesting too when I went over there. I was walking around and you know there's a lot of similarities to the Canadian game, but they rather than serving popcorn, they were serving waffles with jam in the stands. And I walked around <laughs> the uh, the concourse, this little arena, and I, I can't remember the name of it probably because it was 48 letters and 46 of them were O's. But there well, was uh,
1: would not have been Valoranga. It might have been Fisk Oscar. Fisk Oscar is. Uh, uh, it was Fisk like a Oscar black and orange where team. Succarella Ocean played. Okay. New York Ranger.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. And then yeah, in that would be Frisco, Okay, and in their little barn, and I was walking around in, yeah, in the concourse, sure. and there was a framed Gretzky jersey on the wall and an Oilers jersey, and they had oh, been a team the, from the area.
1: The culture for hockey is yeah. a very strong culture. It's just not a very large culture. Yeah. And a, a big measure of that is uh, the failure to have enough ice arenas to really even meet the demand.
0: And you were part of building new arenas, you'd said, when you went over there.
1: Yeah, that was for the 94 Winter Olympics in Lillehammer.
0: Okay.
3: Now, George, you went over for a few years, then uh, who gave you the call who, you know, for you to come back and coach an expansion team, which, you know, hadn't been in the NHL since uh, they, they brought four teams from the WHA. So that's a lot different because they came in a little bit more established and you knew how tough the NHL was. Uh, Take us back to uh, when you had the conversations and when you accepted the job to be the expansion coach of the San Jose sharks in 1991, 92.
1: I appreciate your comment about uh, me being a good hockey person. There's another gentleman who was probably one of the architects for the Calgary Flames uh, winning the Stanley Cup when they did because he was the one that uh, bird-dogged a lot of college players, and I had the pleasure of doing some international scouting for Calgary after the first two years where I helped uh, Al McNeil and Pierre Paget, and I had a lot of interaction with Jack Ferreira. Jack Ferreira is one of the absolute best uh, talent searchers in the game. And for me, I wanted to cast my lot with him, even though Al McNeil, my mentor coach, said, George, don't do it. You'll never get another job. (laughs) You'll be fired after one year because the average time then was 1.14 years. And and, uh, Scotty Bowman said, don't do it. Well, I did it because of Jack Ferreira. I really believed in them, and we set out on a three-year plan, and I thought we were doing fine. Well, looking at some of the guys you got, how, how did that
2: expansion draft work, and maybe how does it change from what we're seeing uh, with Las Vegas this week?
1: Well, look at Vegas. Now, you can either choose two options, right? You can uh, protect 11 players or uh, 9 players. And so then there are a lot of other clauses. But the bottom line for us is there was no Eric Lindros, and that was a penalty uh, against the guns who uh, owned the uh, Minnesota North Stars at the time uh, because they uh, rushed the gun and went into San Jose a year before they were supposed to. So the draft, actually, each team could protect 18 skaters, 18, plus two goaltenders, and they could replace a player if you took a player. and basically you were limited mostly to one player per team none of the first three-year contract players were allowed to be drafted and if you took a goaltender uh, beyond number two then that penalized you and then the uh, unsigned players and draft picks of course were off limits now the one thing i'm going to say is that gary Bettman. I had real respect for him because towards the end of our uh, time in San Jose, he came by and he wanted to talk about expansion. And I told him that if you're going to open a new franchise like San Jose, never, ever allow the owners of the current clubs to give away so little talent for the expansion money. And to Gray Bretman's credit, now you see what Vegas, they can really select deep.
2: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I'm looking at the roster of this. I mean, there was, there was a lot of journeymen. You know, listen, I was basically a journeyman myself. But you know, to, to for you to come out and try to coach this team, and your your lead scorer was a an 18 year old rookie uh, who was, you know, Pat Faloon, a very good player, but a lot to ask of a young man uh, coming out. So how did you how did you kind of group get this group going and try to convince them that you know they're were, they're were greater than perhaps what the the, the their individual pieces suggested.
1: Well, you know, the bottom line was we developed uh, a, a work ethic that was second to none. The character in our team was very strong. The leadership on our team was very strong. And the fact that hockey's in San Jose, the fans loved our Shark teams in the first two years that I coached in the Cow Palace because they were so good with the fans. They were so community-minded. We did sharks in the parks, we did inline, we did regular, we did all kinds of visitations. And the players, to their credit, sold the game in San Jose, and of course it's basically been sold out since then. And so character was what got us there, but we, we lost so many one-goal heartbreaker games. It was, it was really tough, but the players handled it. Sometimes they got frustrated, but if you talk to some of the players, we tried to make it fun. We tried to recognize how damn hard it was for them to play their hearts out. And we went through, ooh, 45 players in the first year, 46 players in the second year. And a good measure, like Pat Falloon, for example, was our leading scorer in year one. In year two, he didn't finish half of the season. And so we had so many injuries because guys played hard. And they represented themselves and the Sharks very, very credibly. What was
0: coaching in the Cow Palace like? I was there. It was amazing walking around there. There's like photos of Elvis judging a calf roping competition in 1963 and stuff. Like that was an interesting building that you had to wait until the new barn was open.
1: Oh, yeah. But you know what? Uh, The fans made it remarkable to play in front of them. Uh, Fast forward to Nashville. You saw Nashville for regular season games. That's how enthusiastic I would say most of our games were. Mm-hmm. Even though, you know, what we tried to do was try to get 36 shots on net. It didn't matter how they were going to go. We wanted to try to generate enthusiasm in the building by making sure that we got to puck the net. And then you talk about crashing the net. That's where a lot of our injuries happen, and that's why so many players played in the uh, first two years. From crashing the net injuries? Well, you know, sure, because <laughs> they, they went to the high-traffic areas, mackerel. and they played hard to score goals. <laughs> but We only had two 20-goal uh, scorers in the first year and three in the second.
0: Jeez.
1: it was really tough. George. Why is everybody for so sure.
0: hurt? Cause they're trying so hard. You wouldn't hear that often now.
3: now and and Georgia, uh, it was not a great start for your organization. You lost your first two games. You had a home and uh, away against Vancouver, but then in game three, you defeated the Calgary flames four to three. It was October 8th, 1991. Um, of course it was a home game against the flames at the cow palace. Then you, then you proceeded, I think to lose like the next, uh, 14 games because you only won one of your first 16. So I want to talk first of all just how much that first victory meant and maybe even for you a little bit extra bonus because it was against the team you used to coach.
1: <laughs> right. Well you know, uh, what you were hoping for, and I think coaches when you have long odds going into every game, is that you hope that you get intermittent reinforcement. Well, there you lo- lose two, gain one. Then of course, we're looking for the next win and the next win. And it's really difficult because now teams say, oh, geez, they beat uh, Calgary 4-3. to three. We've got to look out for these guys, you know. <laughs> and so they maybe didn't hit the golf links quite as much. <laughs> they didn't enjoy, you know, the way to San Jose. But it was really tough for us going through. But, you know, I, I credit our players. I, I can't speak highly enough about the players that were there and the leadership of the Doug Wilsons and the Kelly Kissios, the Dean Evisons, the Bob McGills, and then you go down the line, there were some remarkably good, hard-working players who played for up to, like Ray Whitney, until he was about, what, 58? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and Witz was mad at me because we thought, uh, I thought as a coaching staff with Bob Murdoch and Drew Remenda, we really tried to convince Jack to send Patty Falloon and Ray Whitney to Dave King with the Olympic team. We thought that as they had played in Spokane and they played 48 minutes a game and, uh, you know, just rested, they were really, really long-shift players. And, of course, at that time, we had to play short-shift hockey. But anyway, we didn't get our way. Patty stayed, and then, unfortunately, uh, not playing defense caught up to him in the long haul. Wits went to the affiliate team and then came up and was a heck of a pro. What a player. You know, I remember actually because Ray,
2: I was I was on the farm team in Lexington, Kentucky, when he got okay. sent when he got sent down there. And uh, you know what is funny? I, I he's from Emton. I'm from Empton. We we hung out a lot. And since then, he did say that was kind of the the bottom where he said, you know, I, I've got to make some adjustments here. And you uh, know, I mean, he's still always a great offensive player. But you know, he did he did go on. And he he learned to not cheat quite as much as maybe he did under your tutelage, uh, George.
1: Well, you know, we we knew that he was going to be a good player. And, and we felt that it would really benefit him to uh, pick up on the things he couldn't do well. You know, another player I'll, I'll go to as a smaller player is Zuccarella Awesome, uh, Mats. Yeah. You know, he, I coached him uh, with Norway uh, from 2007 to 210 up to the Vancouver Olympics. And I kept telling New York and anybody else, you know, the, he has a couple things to do, but he's an exceptional hockey player, as was Ray Whitney. Because they're so smart, they see the ice so well, and they make great choices of where to find themselves on the ice to create offense.
0: I'm just wondering, Struds, how that impacts your psyche when you're sitting there and a guy comes into the room, looks around, and goes, This is rock bottom for my career. I really need to change (laughs) things around. Like, are you just sitting there like, Buddy, I'm working hard here. Uh, I'm on my way
2: into the the show. I knew, I knew that it would take me a few years to get to NHL. I was in the minors, and I'll never forget it, though. He actually, we were going to play a pretty tough team, and uh, all of a sudden, he got the flu. Like, he just, like, I can't play. <laughs> so we're on the floor.
1: flu, was it? Yeah, well, you you know, you
2: know the flu. You've coached a few guys that got the flu. And not this suggesting, Ray, but he's just like, I'm an HL guy. I'm not going to do this. Well, we it was like fight night at the palace. We fought all night. And then we got back. He's like, tough game. I'm like, yeah, it was a tough one. I fought two times. Some animal. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Now,
3: George, speaking of guys who never had the flint Flon flu, in your first year in San Jose, uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Link Gates. Oh yeah. Uh, he played 48 games for you guys. He had 326 penalty minutes. And uh, then you had Jeff Rogers, who had played 61 games, had 217. And those guys each had like six and seven goals. And they were 22 years of age. Young guys just trying to make their way into it. Uh, give me your thoughts on uh, coaching Link Gates, who, you know, unfortunately, the prior to the car accident, like I know that, you know, they called him the missing link, but he actually had a lot of skill, didn't he?
1: This was probably the prototype big man with skill. He could feather a pass. He could shoot the park as hard as any of the shooters that now go into the contest. And he fought Bob Probert one night twice and beat him twice. And, you know, he measured, he was a total complete player. But unfortunately, the dysfunctional family life and upbringing and all of the things that happened, we, I had him with the uh, Minnesota North Stars with Pierre Paget, and he came on the ice, and I sent him off the ice. I said, you know what? You've got alcohol in your breath. You don't do that here, and you don't ever do that again with the Minnesota North Stars if you want to be a hockey player. And so I shipped him off the ice. And so when he came to San Jose, he respected that, and we got a lot of good hockey out of him. But then all of a sudden, he would snap, something would go not well for him, and he had no co- concept of, you know, riding it through, riding over the frustration. And then ultimately, you're right, uh, you know, he played, and he, ha, I can tell you the story one time, he had a suspension. So in the Cow Palace, he was, uh, it was like Elvis, Link is in the building. And all of a sudden, the stands start to empty, and it's like the Pied Piper going up in the upper round of the Cow Palace. Most of the fans are now following Link around and around and around. It was unbelievable. A charismatic character he was. Yeah, he's, he was.
2: Uh, he was quite the guy. I remember when I when I came up uh, getting into the miners. One of the older guys pulled me over and he said, "You know, do not ever fight Link Gates." And I knew his legs. I'm like, "Don't worry, I'm not looking." To like, no, no. <laughs> Just whatever you do.
1: That was one of the best pieces of advice you had. I mean, I, I bet, but the fact is, his his skill level was scary good. Any of the skilled players that I, you put on the ice now, he could do that all. Yeah. Scary good.
3: Yeah, like he was really, I heard his first pass was phenomenal, and it's really too bad. They got in that car, actually. So, what happened?
0: I was, you know,
1: well, two years old when well, this happened. At the end of the season, and a friend of his, according to him, uh, they were going fishing, and it's 6 o'clock in the morning, and either the friend or he uh, it was not established at the scene of the accident. They were going along Highway 101, and then there's an exit up towards the Cow Palace where you come back, and it's 15 miles an hour on a, a full U turn. And. He ended up being projected out of his uh, firebird, landed with his head on the concrete, and if it had been any other specimen of humanity, they would have been dead on the concrete, uh, the asphalt. Anyway, we you know, visited him a lot and tried to go through, and then he had an injury that was neuroscience-related, in the sense that he could start out a shot, and then there was no... Connection, neuromuscularly, to the continuation of the stick going through, and then it kicked in again. But you know, unfortunately, he was lost to us, and he had had what I was uh, going to say a breakthrough year for us.
3: Yeah, that that was such a an unfortunate ending uh, for him. And I know he came back a few years later, but obviously, it was never the same player. Now, George, outside of the the Cow Palace, uh, any other funny stories? You recall from being an expansion coach with the San Jose Sharks definitely wasn't, you know, a a well-known hockey market. It's become a fantastic hockey market uh, today. But, uh, you know, throughout that season, does anything uh, stand out in your mind that makes you chuckle?
1: Well, you know, we played three quarters and we had two intermissions. <laughs> <laughs> they, that's football terminology. So that's how green the fans were. Jeez. But they loved the contact and they loved the fact that we we did play physically. We felt that we had drafted a team that was gonna be a very tough team to play against in the Cow Palace. We were, but the issue was we just couldn't score goals. And, you know, the, the fact was we did everything possible to, to remedy that. But in terms of tales, there were many. And, of course, like every coach, you don't know most of the tales, right? But we do know, for example, uh, Nashville did remarkably well, and I was hoping they were going to win the Stanley this time because Mike Sullivan, one of my first two-year players as a Shark, It was dubbed Mr. Serious. Well, how does Mr. Serious project in his life? Probably one of the best coaches that Boston Bruins had, and now two Stanley Cups. Well, there were players like that, but there were also players who were character on on the other side of the ice. One of the players that came in was Paul Fenton. And, of course, he's the AGM with the Nashville Predators. Paul Fenton came, and he was like, I would say, maybe six other players that came in. We greeted him at the uh, Oakland Airport, the executive terminal there. We were waiting for Shark Air. Well, Shark Air was uh, one of the things that the players laughed about the most, had the most jokes surrounding. But this particular time, Paul Fenton came in. He'd just been uh, picked up by uh, Jack Ferreira. Great pickup, good, hard-playing, honest hockey player. The first thing he does within 10 minutes of being in the terminal he goes over for water, slips on some water on the floor on a tile floor, conks himself out with his chin hitting the uh waterfall. <laughs> <laughs> then he hits the the uh tile or the terrazzo whatever it was. And so now we've we've got one going to the hospital. So that was the start. Then we got the second. Well in the meantime we were waiting for a flat tire on shark air to go. And a long story, we waited for 17 hours. Fenner came back. We, we got on the plane. But the number of stories where we had to uh, put in at Kansas City or halfway across somewhere to somewhere else with shark air, you know. And then, of course, the pilots, we, we, uh, the Iraq War was going, right? Well, we often were talking about landing like Scud missiles. The plane was a short base 737, and we landed hard. You know? <laughs> so we had a lot of tooth rattlers there when the guys started wearing their mouthpieces. <laughs> 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 oh, the stewardess, you know, they, they had a lot of fun with us. You know, the fact is, You can think, okay. uh, I mean, I have a horse bleep record as a coach there, but we really tried to make it enjoyable, given all of the things, because it was such a tough uh, journey for the players. But they were such good guys, and I loved working with them, as did uh, Bob Murdoch and Drew Remanda. But there are a lot of stories.
3: Oh, I couldn't imagine. And it's, you know, it's funny. I wanted to ask your mentality as a coach, George, because I know you've always been, a, you know, an excellent teacher of the game at any level you're at, but you come in there to an expansion team and you know when the season starts that, you know what, the the other teams are coming in and, you know, there's Mark Messier's and there's Lindros and, you know, all the other great Steve Isermans and superstars and, you know, Pat Falloon was really good as a rookie. as an 18-year-old at 25 goals and 59 points. That's fantastic. But
1: absolutely, you, you just
3: didn't really have... You know, if you're pulling out your gun, uh, they might have six uh, six bullets in the chamber, and you're coming in with maybe two or three. H- how did you uh, how did you approach it different as a coach to to keep the players motivated, knowing that on most nights you simply didn't have as much talent?
1: Well, we uh, first of all, we sold the team concept. Secondly, uh, we were a positive coaching staff. and the, the third thing is we we're expecting to get better every game. And so we held their feet to the fire in terms of their effort. You give us effort, and we're with you 100%. If you don't have effort, then you're you're not pulling your weight as part of the team, and it's our responsibility to take you away from your ice time on the team. And, of course, we did that, and we didn't have to do it too often because they were very accountable. These were guys who had character and were accountable people, and they played hard. They played honestly, and they played, I think, you know, with the mission that we were going to try to win every game, but we knew we had to reinforce and be very positive. We talked a lot about how we measure success, and we did a number of those things to work with individual players, and we talked to every player every day. We really did a lot of communication things, and it was always with the idea that we had our team focus, team goals, and we were going to keep our feet to fire on those things with them. And hopefully they would be with us, and they were.
3: What was crazy about your expansion draft was because the Guns owned Minnesota and then sold it to them, Minnesota actually uh, uh, got 14 skaters uh, from the uh, uh, with at least 50 NHL games uh Drafted, then you guys actually were able to draft, I think it was uh, 14 skaters and two goalies just from the Minnesota team. Then you only got 10 players from the rest of the league, where Minnesota got 10. Like it's the strangest expansion draft ever <laughs> when you look back on it. And George, as the coach at the time, how much input did you have? in the draft like Jack Ferrar, of course was the GM but uh, h- how much give and take was there when it came to actually drafting which players as the coach at that time w- w- do you think you had more input than you know it, obviously coaches at the at the NHL draft don't have much because they don't watch any of the young players but did you have a significant amount of input in who you would draft with Jack
1: yes you know what because that's Jack first of all he's a guy that is uh very open to talking about players he sees players, nobody works harder than he does and he saw most of the players so you're going to respect that judgment but then I was to be on the network to uh, find out about players and so I did a lot of uh, backgrounding uh, for the players before we went into the draft and so did I have input? You bet. Did Bob Murdoch have input? Yeah, you bet and so the two of us were called upon by uh, by Jack to uh, to help out. And yes, he had uh, other people you know, that he worked with all the year and he had the scouting staff, so he knew his business and we respected that. He's very good.
2: Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe you were also an assistant coach the year that Atlanta was formed. Is that correct?
1: They, uh, Don Waddell actually recruited me uh, when I came back from Germany. I'd worked with the national programming development there for four years from 94 to 98.
0: He said, you've been fed to the dogs uh, before, the expansion dogs. You ready to go again?
1: Yeah, and so he contacted me and said, "Uh, would you do some scouting? And we'd like to have you on board to work with Kurt Fraser. And then uh, Jay Leach came on staff as well. And you you can talk to Ray Ferrero about the experience uh, of the Atlanta Thrashers. And uh, Ray and... uh, you know, two other players, Donald LaDette and Andrew Burnetta, uh, were uh, the top line in the National Hockey League for about a month and a half to two months. And so, you know, if you have the talent, you can build. And we had a great line there. But as you said about Paddy Falloon, uh, it's like playing the Vancouver Canucks this past year. After you go past the Sedins and that block, who do you have to worry about before you beat uh vancouver canucks it was tough george uh george
3: i want to ask you uh you had a uh, a player who, who's a, is a good friend of mine we have him on my show all the time and it was near the end of his career but uh ray ferraro a highly competitive guy in atlanta uh, any uh, f- uh, uh memorable moments from uh, ray with the uh, atlanta thrashers those first few seasons
1: oh razor <laughs> <laughs> Razor was not a very um, patient player. <laughs> he was not a, a player who could tolerate a lot of things not going well. So by
0: and all so, means, let's send him to the Atlanta Thrashers where he'll have his own version <laughs> of hell for as
1: long as he plays. And he thrashed the Thrashers from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> he, he could really blister. Anyway, you know what, you respected him because, as you say, he's one of the most competitive people that made him a great player. You know, he was just, a, a, you know, a porcupine with thorns. <laughs> he, he irritated people all the time. And then, of course, uh, Bruno wasn't going to come to his defense, nor was Donald Adette. But we had a couple of other players that, you know, looked out for him. But I'll tell you what, uh, you know, push to shove. He was a huge part of us doing better there in in the first year because he was so competitive that he brought most of the players to the table. And for me, I think it was a very positive thing. And I, I think I, I'm a very good friend of Razor's to this day because I really, and, and I think uh, Kurt Fraser I know and Jay Leach, we really respected Razor. He was in a tough situation, but he was a kind of guy that made Burnett, uh, Andrew Burnett, and Don Ledecky really, really accountable.
3: Why? Well, and and he, they were
1: a hell of a line. Oh,
3: he had seventy-six points yeah. the second year with the Atlanta Thrashers, twenty-nine goals. That's willpower. And, and eighty-one points. Yeah, That's fantastic.
1: Oh, exactly. And of course, how many other lines did we have? And the answer is the same. <laughs> sure enough, the answer I is none. And so they were targets. But the fact is that we did everything possible to allow them to play on the road. But it was, it was really tough, you know. And, and that's why coaching without, uh, you know, a, a half a dozen players that are a threat is a really tough assignment for anyone. And when you see your top scorers go down or your goaltender go down, you know you're going to get fired.
3: <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there you go. Jordan, uh, what, what do you expect as a guy who's been through a few expansions? Uh, what do you expect from Las Vegas in the next few
2: seasons?
1: Well, first of all, I think uh, Gerard Gallant is a hell of a coach, and uh, Florida made a, a very bad political decision in allowing him to go. And I look at the uh, possibilities. Uh, you know, th- th- they look really good, except that there are a lot of hookers inside The players that are available, and they have to spend what sixty percent of their uh, cap. Yeah. And so you know, you may be attracted to go to a younger player, but you might have to take an older player. But the 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 key thing is, I look to see a very respectable uh, base of talent there. Now, George, of course, George McPhee, you know, he built Washington, so this is a good GM. And I think he's got a number of good people around him. They've had a full year to look at the whole uh, process. And that's something that San Jose didn't have totally.
3: George, what do you mean by they have a lot of hookers on that team? I was thinking you were going a completely different way about the lifestyle of Las Vegas. There's a lot of hookers on the team.
1: (laughs) The bottom line I meant there is that you have to uh, select so many in different categories. Yeah, okay. And, and, and players with a 2017-18 contract, they might be coming up to free agency, but I think you have to have a number of defensemen forwards that meet that category. And then you have, uh, I think, uh, to meet the cap. And that means that you might be attracted to go to some young players, but you may not be able to get them. And you may not be able to get all the old players, you want because you don't want to uh, you know bust the bank right off the bat
0: but to our knowledge there aren't any actual live prostitutes on the projected
1: no lineup. No, no. <laughs> no okay <laughs> I, was, oh, I didn't know you'd <laughs> never <laughs> know in this day and age who's well, doing what in the offseason words going into
3: Vegas. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I thought it was fitting george so did I. I thought george. someone had the courage to say it <laughs> now, george i know you've been working a, a little bit uh, kind of consulting coaching uh, what are you up to now
1: uh, this past year, I uh, brought in Mike uh, to up to speed as the new executive director. He's full-time out of Toronto, and that probably is harder than me actually doing the job and preparing for another year of the rhythm up to the clinic. But, uh, you know, pensions and medical benefits, I gave him a lot of advice on that, and there are a lot of programs pending as long as we can get it past the Board of Governors. Uh, And the other part I've been doing actually uh, since 07 is working with sled hockey. It's now called Para Ice Hockey, and I'm uh, the international volunteer chair for development for Para Ice Hockey. And so this is a wonderful new avenue uh, that I'm working down, and it's uh, for men and for women and so I would like to do more camps and clinics than I've done now. And that means I can do, you know, an episode now, an episode then, and I can control my time.
3: Well, George, great to catch up with you. Uh, fantastic stories. Uh, just a, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to coaching. There's so many people who have learned a lot from you. And uh, thanks for taking us down a trip down uh, expansion memory lane. We appreciate it. <laughs>
1: You're very welcome. Thanks for asking me, and uh, I appreciate all the questions. Thank you, gentlemen. You betcha. Thanks, George. Hope to talk to you again
3: soon. All right. George Kingston, absolute gem of a man. That Uh, is
2: bizarre.
0: Sorry, stretch. Go ahead. ahead. No, I I was going to say
2: awesome, awesome guy. Yeah. Great stories. Like, just open and honest. I loved it. I loved it. Now,
0: can you walk me through how this expansion draft went down? So the guns owned Minnesota.
3: Yeah. So the, the guns, and then they
0: bought the team. George Gund, right? Then bought the San Jose it, it, Sharks, yeah, and owned uh-huh. two
3: teams. Well, no, 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 no. He paid fifty million for the Sharks franchise, and he already had so- owning a team. He had sold the North Stars to a consortium like Harold Baldwin and Norm Green, I think, were those different guys? Okay. So, like, and it's funny, he sold the North Stars for
0: thirty one point five million in nineteen ninety four. Yeah. yeah. And he paid fifty for the Sharks. Sharks. Right. Okay. So then, but what happens is expansion draft. He had to only pick off the well like, it North
3: Stars f- first of all there was a dispersal draft right so there's a dispersal draft and, and then the uh, the north stars selected 14 skaters and two goalies who had played at least 50 nhl games how is a dispersal draft different from an expansion draft Well, they, at the end of oh. the 1990 season right these players were protected so they no one else could take them the san jose couldn't take then from the unprotected north stars players excluding their 1990 picks so all of guys who are still in the north stars or so basically they got to keep 14 of their own guys
0: Crazy because they moved?
3: No, they didn't move. They just sold ownership. It's so crazy. Like this, when you go back it's, and look at this what one, What hell is going <laughs> on. Don't yeah. oh, no, trust me. It's People crazy. should research the 1991 San Jose Sharks expansion because it really coincides with Minnesota. So, well, everybody says they got to pick from the other teams. The reality was the other 20 teams in the league, they each lost one player, but that was split between the North Stars and the Sharks,
0: right? I don't understand. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to walk through this in my mind. So, he's got it. He's got team. He's got the North Stars. He sells them to a consortium. Then they do a dispersal draft from an old team he owned to the new team he bought. Yeah, basically, yeah. But wouldn't that just overly penalize if you're the new owners of the team? Why are you being able to pick my roster apart when I just bought an existing NHL team?
2: It makes no sense. It's crazy. I it's feel like the NHL
0: in these days, like back in the day, the NHL was ran like in a bootlegging speakeasy in like the back alleys in New York. And then like there was always this shady wave after wave of stuff. But this is like pretty late in the 90s to have this type no, of bizarre. No, yeah, this
3: happened uh, basically in, in 1990. It was that's bizarre. It was very strange for sure. And so <laughs> so basically the Sharks then they were able to select 24 players from the North Stars organization, basically from their NHL team and all of their protected list. Like so AHL our owner
0: guys. sold our team. I live in Minnesota. Our owner sold our team and then bought a new team and that new team gets to come be like a predator of our lineup
3: basically yeah, especially, yeah, especially, yeah Like yeah, yeah. what in the <laughs> yeah, flying yeah. fuck is going on yeah, like yeah. half of their organization <laughs> <laughs>
0: like if you want our players take the team now
3: to be fair these are who they took Shane Churla Brian Hayward Neil Wilkinson Rob Zettler uh, and then guys from like Kalamazoo who was their AHL team so it basically be like coming in and oh now we're gonna lose uh, who, who, David Musil Right. right for Oilers right, fans, right. Right. right? That's what you're losing because it was guys like uh, Dan Kesmer, Dean Colstad, Peter Lappin, Pat McLeod, who, who, the JF Pat Co- McLeod, yeah. Link Gates, though, that was the one, that. the missing link. Yeah, Crazy. that's an amazing story. Like scary. Probably my favorite story uh, with uh, the missing. Well, I shouldn't say favorite, but Dennis Bondby, the menace. So Link Gates, of course, um, you know, he he bounced around in in, in his career for for, and it was just, you know it was really unfortunate because of that. Uh, that that injury that happened I in didn't the car. understand
0: what he was saying but I didn't have the courage to correct him what's a neurological event preventing a shot from being completed
3: well basically well link gates had serious head trauma yeah, from that car yeah. accident right so his, his, his he was never the same player that basically from what i understood he just his body didn't function the same way he couldn't make a pass he couldn't do a lot of things so like his like thing. range
0: of motion like he yeah, was unable to like complete the motion of a shot well eventually he did but not not right away Oh. Right. But are you still able to get back in the NHL? Um,
3: I don't know. No, he never he never came back to the actual NHL. He, went, he, he came to camps. He went to the old well, well, that, that's yeah. my story yeah. with with, in, uh, with the orders. And then of course he was on their farm team. Right. In Cape Breton. Right. And so Link Gates, you know, and because you have a brain injury, he just was never the same yeah, person yeah, from people yeah, I talked yeah. to. So anyway, they were in practice once, and he was picking on his own players. And finally, Dennis Bond, his own teammate, had had enough, and he went at him. They went toe to toe in practice. In practice, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> crazy. Guys. A brain injury, though, like you say, like you, you can't, you, you almost can't hold people accountable after a brain injury because yeah. they're physically and chemically a different yeah. person.
3: Yeah, like the, you know, he the next year, you know, he played in the ECHL and the uh, IHL late, late in the season because yeah. after the injury, he didn't really come back for almost a calendar year. Then the the orders had him ninety three. Glenn Sather, of course, took on projects. And, yeah. I uh, came to camp and then he was with the AHL team that year at uh, twenty-one games and then they they you know and then he went to the ECHL and you know was down. He was just he was never the same. Yeah, but if you look at Link Gates up. as a rookie, a rookie in the National Hockey League. Oh, well, I shouldn't say that because he had played, well, I guess he was a rookie because he played 10 games before in Minnesota. But his one year, he had 48 games played. He had six goals, six assists as a defenseman. Yeah, three hundred and twenty-six <laughs> penalty minutes. He was
2: Ha. I remember watching a lot of his
0: fights, and they was a tough... Don't sport. fight Link Gates. Someone came up to you and said, Strutty, no matter what you're going to yeah. do in this mixed-up yeah. world, don't fight Link
3: Gates. Smart smart to you to listen, Strutty. That's yeah. right. Yeah, Thank goodness you that. listened. Uh, you might not be here one, today.
0: One last beating I took. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with uh, story time with Strutty. you're listening to the Real Life Podcast, brought to you by Finning Canada. The parts you need when you want them. The right parts for your equipment. Finning Canada.
1: It's late, and you just finished a full day of work.
2: Your equipment is done for the day, and tomorrow, bright and early, you start all over again. You know what you need to keep it running smoothly, but there's not a break in the schedule to make that happen.
0: With over 1.4 million cat parts at your fingertips on parks.cat.com,
2: getting that part just became easier. Any device, anytime, anywhere. Get what you need when you need it. Order today, parks.cat.com. Back
3: live in the Real Life Podcast. Jason Greger, Jason Strato, Kwanyea Gretz, brought to you by Finning Canada. 1.4 million parts. At your fingertips.
0: I got to be honest, I feel camp. silly when you're talking to like gentlemen of the game of hockey and you're like, I'm introducing myself. I'm Jason Greger. I'm the king of the radio and former NHL star Jason Straddick is here. And then a guy who likes to retweet memes is here for reasons I don't know. Like your pedigrees do you do are that? much more impressive than mine. I feel like I'm in very good company.
3: We, we could write it. A be- like if you want your own intro, you write it and I'll just I should. Yeah, yeah, let's do yeah.
0: it. Yeah. A guy who once picked up a dog by its hind legs and pushed it around like a vacuum. Wanye's is here. Hi. You did that? Hi, Stretty. That's pretty impressive. Dave. Hi, former coach George Kingston. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> no. There's nothing you can put wow. in my bio unless it was a pure fabrication oh, you, that would be great. you impressive.
3: could put it better, right? Like, once owned a bar. That's true. Blue Chicago. Yeah. Darn right. Didn't yeah. didn't last very long, but hey, it was fun. Had a good time. It's true.
2: Yeah. Sure. Those are good days, actually. Big fan of Smitty. Big fan Is of Smitty. A...
3: So, uh, Stretty, quickly. Yes. Um, You were, uh, because of your... Your career, if if I'm recalling correctly, I don't think were you you were were you exposed <laughs> in expansion mm, drafts no. in Columbus and Minnesota?
2: Or no. were you not, uh, not I, think I, that? I think I was protected. I think I was protected by for the you. Canucks. Oh yeah. Well back I, then, was I protected? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I was. Well God, if they didn't select you, that'd be a slap in the face. No, I was protected. No, but I do remember this. This is so when the year Nashville came in was going to come in that was
3: 1999
2: maybe I that maybe so that was a lot Both of them came in that year so maybe i didn't have to be protected And then know. minnesota and columbus was after okay so i'm pretty sure yeah so we're, we're i'll never forget this we're playing the minors and i believe it's my first year in the minors and uh we're playing against this this team called the baltimore Skipjacks. of course and uh, they are they had this guy in this team jeremy stevenson and this guy Every time we play him, he would chirp me and yell at me and, like, uh, just. What? Why? I, I don't know. But he, and I never fought him. I don't know if I was, I don't think I was scared. I was just like, you know when guys really make a lot of noise, you're like, this guy's making a lot of noise and whatever. No. So he's just. I he, never played any sports. He's chirping chirping the hell of me. Like he's going to kick the shit out of me. So um, we're going to play the this, this same team. And uh, rumor comes down that David Poyle, the GM of the new, new team, Nashville, is in the building. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it this time. I'm going to fight this guy. So we're playing him. First couple of shifts, we don't get out. Finally, we'll get out against each other. And he's chirping me in warm-up. He's chirping me the whole time. And I'm like, let's go. And we have a really good fight. And I beat the, the tits off him. I'm not going to lie to you. I let him have it. And, uh, and I felt so good after. And I thought there's two things that happened after that. One, I thought I was going to get drafted by the – or you know, maybe Nashville take me. Drafted. whatever, or, or whatever. They might just find a way to get me. The second thing was – Jeremy Stevenson never once talked to me again. Ever, never (laughs) once asked me to fight. So that was kind of a good lesson when I was young to say, hey, like, one, you know, it's good to sometimes it's, it's good just to get in a fight so that people know you're there. But two... When you beat someone, they're not coming back anymore. And I never had a problem with Jamie Stevenson. He actually played for the Ducks for a while. He was a pretty effective, like, kind of a can Think of, like, a Dan Lacrouture, you know, uh, some, a player like that.
3: Well, what's funny is he actually ended up playing, like, three and a half seasons with the Nashville Predators. Maybe Poyle appreciated that he took a beating and kept on ticking. So you're saying I could
0: have
2: been? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He did do that. That's right. Minute. I forgot about that. That guy who
0: kicked my ass went on to be a stunning sitcom. No, 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 no.
3: Struts kicked his ass. Uh, but I was yeah, just saying maybe him, yeah. maybe oh, yeah. Poyle was excited. Yeah, hey, yeah. look at this guy. He can take a beating. No, yeah. Keep on going. It
2: was crazy. I'll never forget that. And I, I you know what it was like. You know, sometimes you got to stand up for yourself and get angry and just make it happen. Did you say you beat the tits off him? I did. Yeah, that's what. A, that's a big saying in hockey. That's incredible. Yeah, that's,
0: like, that's basically
2: when you have a convincing victory. Yeah, say yeah. It's so a lot of times my uh-huh. my uh like Tyson Nash said all the time, going to beat the tits off this guy?" <laughs> like that's how we, he you know, he talks. He's always like chirpy and make better. Does pants.
0: everybody have like their own catchphrase in the NHL? It's a fighter. Like yeah, oh like, no, no, I'm gonna put you to sleep, or, or we're gonna go on a canoe ride, or no, that kind of. Well, that, stuff.
3: Dave Brown would say that. I yeah. heard the guys are like, "We're no, gonna go on no, a I'm, canoe I'm ride." There's
0: Semenko. There's
2: this guy Semenko, um, isn't it? Oh. Oh, Dave Brown had a few lines. This guy Scott Daniels, uh, his his nickname was the Chief, oh, yes. and everyone was scared of him. And he's I'll never forget my one of my first games of pro ever. I'm in a scrum, bit of a scrum in front, but they had a lot of tough guys. He skates in the pile. He's like, Daddy's home. Oh. He wants to go to sleep first? And I'm like, uh, not me. I'm good. I'm good, Chief Mister Chief. Is it Mister or Doctor? What do you want me to call Dr. you? Chief. <laughs> Daddy's home. Daddy's home. Who wants to go what to was you, first? What,
0: when you were looking the guy in the eyes and was uh, about was to terrible. cave
2: his face, and like, I never really heard. I I was in a very good fight. Like I, I didn't hurt him, but I'd fight him. But I would never really beat anybody. Up. You beat
0: the tits off a few people, from what I yeah, was told you know, a minute ago.
2: We know why I did this one guy. But the thing is, I, I when I, I always said, and I, the guys would always, I said, got to get the pins going. Like <laughs> i always like. And so there's a trainer, Jim Ranzi in New York. He's like, Slunny, gotta get the pins going tonight. That's how he's talking. I'm like, I don't say it like that. I'm like, gotta get the pins going, boys. And, uh, you know. What are the pins? What does that mean? Legs, to get the legs, oh. like pins or legs. Gotta get the pins going. Oh. <laughs> and that's like, I would just say to the rest hey, Gregs, we need to get those pins going. And then guys would just chirp the shit out of me for no reason.
3: <laughs> well, uh, geez, I can't, I can't wonder why that would happen, dude. I, I don't know. Hey, let's it. get the pins going. What are we, a bunch of needles? Like, come on. <sighs>
2: yeah, it wasn't that cool. Oh. Looking back, but I still use it now. I tell my kids, hey, when they're playing soccer, get the pins going. That's timeless advice. Around. Yeah, use it. Use it for yourself, your kids, your family. Greg, when's the last time you got your pins going?
3: Uh, yesterday, in fact. Well, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's nice. No, yeah. Sunday. Yep. So- a little, uh, little farm work, a little biking. It was good. Oh, yeah. Skinny pins. Buddy. As long as I get you there from A to B, that's all that matters. <laughs> like my tiny short arms, according I, I to nobody say, other than you, I, I will say, speaking of pins, I was laughing because I was uh, at the uh, rugby match, Canada and Romania, okay. and I'm sitting there and like rugby guys, like, you know what, sure, you, they're just big like right. they're very stout and thick, especially the, you know, the interior guy, but even, you know, a lot of the guys in the crowd, is, especially like I'm walking around the crowd. And I'm just like, dude, which guy doesn't belong here. Right? Like I'm in good shape, but they're just barrel chested and wide. Right. And you know, well, a few of them may be a little bit thicker around the, uh, the belly button than they should be. But nonetheless, I'm watching the game and I was chuckling. I almost wanted to send Strud's a text. I was like Struddy, We could put both of our legs together. It might oh, equal God. one <laughs> of these guys. Like they're just tree stumps that they're running around on. So
2: scary.
0: Well, you got those long
3: dancer's legs,
0: Streds.
2: Yeah. Just stretch thank, still thank forever. Yeah. That's a nice compliment. Yeah, they're nice. Oh, yeah, they're like Get the, the pe- black swan. Get the well, the problem go. is, Dancer.
3: like, from Streds' hip right down to his ankle, it's just straight line. Straight it's line. unbelievable. Like
2: yeah. a, a, a thoroughbred like championship an, horse. Like
0: an after photo of a chicken wing. Just bone. Just bone. Listen,
2: <laughs> we're, if we're going to start chirp. are we starting to chirp body parts? No.
0: I already made fun of my own <laughs> arms. There's
3: nothing left. <laughs> oh, <a> complete <laughs> package other than that. Yeah, the alligator and the orangutan. No. So you got,
2: next week, this time we'll know. Yeah, who's in the expansion Vegas now.
3: team? Oh, we got to get some more expansion coaches on. Oof. I loved it.
2: That has got to be,
0: when you're coming into the league and there is the most bizarre rigged expansion dispersal draft of all time, you're going to be like, this is going to be a long, no. long road ahead. What we have
3: to do is we've got to get Fenton on the show. I want to hear his version oh of when gosh. he wiped out in the airport, <laughs> sma- knocks himself <laughs> out going to get water. It took a lot of restraint not to <clears throat> ask a
0: bunch of misleading tra- entrapment questions about Drew Remenda being a coach there, because <laughs> I just imagined him on the bench with like a cowboy True. hat on and like True. just oh. talking smack. Well, we might have to get oh, old Remenda on. Yeah. He's a classic? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I did, He's I did. an Oilers hater. I don't understand why. He's I not got, an he Oilers hater. He is. is, not an Oilers Just because hater he criticizes all. some yeah. plays. I, I, mean, find Oilers, perfect. I find
3: some fans get a little too sensitive. I'm like, we oh, are
0: yeah. sensitive. Did you see what happened in the last 10 years excluding the last year? I know, year? but yeah, he,
2: he, he, he has to point out the good and the bad. He, I he never points, points out the, like the good.
0: That. Ever. About anything. It's well, like the biggest Oilers hater in the world is paid
2: to talk about the Oilers to Oilers fans. But the good is obvious. You can see when some makes a great talking like two to Eleven well, years ago. Is, yeah, but he wasn't there. Yeah, was starting, years ago. Why are you blaming for something that happened a long time ago? Yeah, he had nothing huh? to Leave do. Drew with it. out. You really love Drew Minda. Well, no, I just think that like he he calls a game that I like when he points out mistakes. Okay. Like it's, it's okay.
0: Obvious. Jesus, I'll back down. You get the pegs going. Yeah. Holy you got, No. Come <laughs> flying. The pegs. The, pins. Jeez, the pins. That is. More Oh than yeah. Pins. Oh, that's <laughs> silly. The pegs. Oh, that's crazy, oh. man. Yeah, you're so crazy you'll we'll use term. Hey, that's, your, that's, that's yeah. your
3: new line hey guys let's get the pegs going <laughs> <You're dead. laughs> alright dad we'll talk to you two jabronis next week okay. the right real life podcast brought to you by fitting Canada pins pegs I'm not sure they have them but they do have 1.4 million parts of your fingertips fitting Canada
0: that was so good